We are in the Advent season, the season of celebrating Christmas, all that it means, all that it offers us. And last week, if you were with us, we we defined Advent because we want to make sure that our children and, and everyone else understands what these words mean. And Advent, you remember, we defined as meaning arrival. The expected arrival, the coming of an expected one. And that expected one, we were reminded, was the Messiah. And Messiah means deliverer or Savior. And so at Advent and at Christmas, we are celebrating the fulfillment of God's promise to send a Messiah and the eager waiting and expectation that the earth, a world full of the darkness of sin, that it was longing for and waiting for in the coming of the Savior. Now this morning we move forward in this consideration of Advent, and we'll be discussing this morning what what I'll call the context of Christmas. The setting and context of any story really does matter. The setting and context of a story really does matter. I could say to you, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And you immediately think of a story with an important context, Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities. Or I could say to you, a long, long time ago, in a galaxy far away, And you can immediately think of context, setting, individuals, people, George Lucas and his story of Star Wars. Or to some of you, I could even say, gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. We can make him better, stronger, faster. And I had a great time rewatching that intro to the Six Million Dollar Man, which was a favorite story of my childhood. So the setting and context of a story really does matter. It's given to us for a reason. The setting and context of history matters also. Not revisionist history, not reimagined history. Not reinterpreted history that is modernized through the lens of our day, but real history, actual history. And by faith, that is what we believe as Christians that we've been given in the early prophetic writings of Isaiah, for instance, and in the historical witness accounts that are recorded in the synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke as they concern the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem of Judea. The setting and context of the Christmas story, where last week we said X marked the spot. The spot of the treasure, the precise location of the treasured Christ was marked by the star in the darkness of night. That was the setting, that was the context. The darkness of night where there was no room for hospitality in a home or an inn. 
And therefore, the Christ would be born in the humble setting of a cattle stall or barn, some kind of outbuilding of the day, and with a feeding trough, a manger serving as a crib. There are several texts this morning that we'll consider in this context of Christmas and the story of Christmas, but we'll begin with one from the New Testament and one from the Old Testament that summarize that context of Christmas, that light was coming into the darkness of the world, that a Messiah who was strong to save would finally arrive. So give your attention to the reading of God's Word. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and then Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray that the Lord would bless our understanding of His Word. Lord, as we come with the expectation of good news from Your Word, we pray for the light of Christmas to overcome the darkness of our own minds and our own hearts, even our own ears. Lord, may we not be stubborn in hearing what you have done for us and who you're calling us to be. So, Lord, would you give us a fresh, new understanding of Christmas? For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2018, about five and a half years ago, in northern Thailand... The wild boars soccer team had finished their practice. Some of you will remember this story as I begin to tell it. This team of soccer players was aged 11 to 16. And at the end of their practice, one of their players was celebrating a birthday, and the 25 year old assistant coach had made arrangements for them to take their bicycles and to ride to the nearby mountain and to do some hiking, some cave exploration to celebrate the birthday of a team, of a teammate. The the 25-year-old coach led 12 boys on this hiking expedition into the cave. And they went about a mile in to the darkness of the cave, having taken off their cleats and entering the cave barefoot in their soccer 
practice uniforms. And at about the mile mark, it was time to turn around and to go back out. But this was the month of June, and it was the monsoon season. And unbeknownst to them, for their time hiking that mile into the cave, the monsoon rains had come, and the showers had begun to fill the water table such that as they turned around to exit the cave, they realized they were trapped. And they would not be able to get out of the cave. And so as the waters began to rise, they had one, only one thing they could do. And that was to go deeper into the darkness of the cave, trying to get to higher ground until they hit a wall and could go no further. Those boys would be trapped in the midst of deep darkness with one flashlight for the 13 of them, hopelessly hoping and waiting that someone somehow could come into the darkness and deliver them. More on that story in just a few minutes. That picture, though, of being trapped in darkness, deep darkness, the darkness of a cave, is an overwhelming thing for those of us who are claustrophobic and don't like to crawl into small spaces. But that's where they were, and that picture of deep darkness and hopeless despair, that really is the picture of the earth, the picture of the world in its sin that the Bible has given us. This morning it's a two-point sermon, not a three-point sermon, and the first point is this. It's the context of Christmas. What is the context of this story that God has given us? And quite simply, it's this to use the words of a hymn that we'll close the sermon with, the context of Christmas is this. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining. Pining meaning an increasing state of longing, of emptiness. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. The story of the Bible and the story of Christmas is one that the world was trapped in the darkness and the despair of sin. It was steeped in the deep darkness of sin and despair. And the story of the Bible, if you're familiar with it at all, Old Testament and New, is the darkness of sin that God has purposed to overcome. The rule and reign of sin, as it's revealed to us in the earlier passages of Scripture, is one that dominates humanity. Consider Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, and what it says about the context of the earth. It says that the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. That's a picture of darkness. That's a picture of despair. Isaiah the prophet in chapter 64 verse 6 of his prophecy says, All of us have become unclean and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, 
And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. The rule, the reign of sin as darkness in the earth over all of humanity, that is the curse of sin. It's the story that the Bible tells us. In the New Testament, we're told the same. That the domination of sin has been from Adam, the first man, all the way to Moses, the giving of the law. And boy, that convinced us of our sin all the way to Christ. Consider what Paul says in Romans chapter 5. He says, sin entered the world through one man, that is Adam, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. And we know that's true all the way to the time of Christ. So the picture of the Bible and the context for the Christmas story is one of the dominion of darkness, the ruin of humanity, are being given to sin, dominated by sin. It's a picture of despair. It's a picture of darkness. And so we sing in our hymn, which has been translated by J.M. Neal, Long lay the world in sin and error pining. We might say in our own language, boy, the world was just spiraling downwards in sin. It was as lost as lost can be. That's the context of Christmas. And you think of what you know of of the Old Testament. All the persons, all the stories, all the families are evidence of the darkness and the despair of sin. The ruin of humanity. The condition of the earth. That's the context of Christmas. Up to the point of the manger. Up to the point of the birth of Jesus. Up to the point till He appeared, as the hymn puts it. Then we have point number two. What we'll call a sudden change of context. Suddenly that context of darkness, of sin, of dominion, of despair, suddenly something happens. Suddenly there is what the hymn writer says is a thrill of hope. And the weary world rejoices. And the Scriptures have already told us this morning that that is because the true light had finally come into the world. Suddenly everything changed. A thrill of hope. Suddenly, the context changes. Now, it's hard to illustrate this sudden, abrupt change of context. But those of you who are sports fans, I don't have a specific illustration. But you have watched at some point some sport, any sport, where it looks like you know the outcome of this game. But then there's a dramatic turnover. There's a dramatic score. And wait a minute. Suddenly, the tables have turned. Things are not going the same route The trajectory has changed. And that's the sense, that's the drama of the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 2. You may have noticed in the scripture reading, I believe it was in the call to worship, that it says, and suddenly there was with the angel a heavenly host. 
That's the sudden and dramatic context. The change. Suddenly everything is different. Suddenly God is visibly at work. The context is about to change from darkness to light. And it comes in the most unexpected terms. It comes in a, in a baby, in a humble context, who is the true light of the world, the Scriptures say. And so suddenly, abruptly, everything is changed. Miraculously, the hope of redemption has come in the form of light coming down from heaven. John chapter 1, verse 9 puts it this way. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. There's your defining moment. There's your dramatic sudden change. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 had painted a portrait of who this true light would be. And that's where he says, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And what will this person be like? What's the portrait of what they're capable of? It says, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. That is, he's a ruler. He's a capable ruler. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. He brings good news. He brings faithful direction. He is Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Suddenly, abruptly, dramatically, everything changes because light has come into the midst of darkness. Then John in chapter 8 of his gospel says, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. And so now this baby grown to become man, proving himself to be the one true prophet, priest, and king, says, okay, it's now a story of follow the leader. Follow the light. Be children of the light. No longer walking and groping in darkness, but be my people and follow the leader. Follow the light who is the light of the world. All this imagery of light, <clears throat> thinking of our children now, you younger ones, you love Christmas and you love Christmas for all kinds of reasons. Part of what we all love about the season are the images and the traditions that come with Christmas. The lighting of candles, a visible picture of the light come into the world. In your homes, perhaps you put up a Christmas tree. And on that Christmas tree, perhaps you cover it with lights. Perhaps you cover it with beautiful ornaments. And parents, it's important that it be more than just a tradition, but it can be an opportunity for you to teach them about the light coming into the world of darkness. And so we use, in our home, we use these things. Light and image. And it's more than just capturing the feeling of the season. It's, it's supposed to be the church's marvel over what God has done in time and space and history. And we celebrate that light has come in and overcome the darkness of the world. Now, I know some of you have got different opinions about lights and ornaments and trees. We can talk about that later. But if you're going to do it, make it meaningful. 
Connect it to the larger story of what we believe to be true, of what God has done in His Son. That the light has come down and has overcome the darkness of our sin, of my sin, of your sin, even the sin of our children. As Josh Garrell says in his Christmas song, The Light Came Down, The light came down and cast the darkness away. He appeared a helpless child, but the light of God came down. Oh, there is a light and a new day is dawning. Old things have passed away. All things are now made new. That's the story of Christmas. Light burst onto the scene, has overcome darkness, has overcome the dominion of darkness, has overcome the guilt of our sins. You see, in that way, Christmas changes everything. That abrupt change of context, of light overcoming darkness, it changes everything by faith if you believe. From our sins and fears... Release us. That's one of the lines we sang last week in Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And just in the way of application, in the application of Christmas, let's let's think about that for a moment. Christmas changes everything because it releases us from the worst of our fears. If our sins are forgiven by a holy God who is an everlasting Father then we are freed from every fear that we think can dominate us and overcome us. We're freed from the fear of death. We're freed from the fear of diagnosis. We're freed from the fear of disease because we understand those things are not the final word spoken over us. Every heartache that you have or have had Every disappointment you have or have had or will have. Every conceivable circumstance of the earth and of the darkness of this world cannot overcome you, cannot define you if your faith is in the Christ, the Messiah who has overcome darkness. Now it's one thing to say that, it's another thing to believe that. But it's also important to remember what we were reminded of last week. And that is we live in the tension between two advents. We look back and celebrate all that is true at the birth of Jesus, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. But we are awaiting that second advent. And so we're living in the tension between the two advents. Where, as we heard last week, that promise, that gospel promise... Is, is not yet, almost, but already. Strangely, it's now, but not yet. But the promise, the way the, the hymn writer puts it, is over yonder. The fulfillment of promise is over yonder. Do you remember this line from the hymn? A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Do you understand what he's saying? It's true already, but it's not here yet. 
It's over yonder, we say in the South. When's the last time you used yonder in a sentence? So when I was working on my sermon this week, I texted one of my good friends who lives in California, and I said, hey, when's the last time you used yonder in a sentence? He said, never. (laughs) It's a good word. It captures the tension that we are living in between the two advents. It is good news. It is true. It is already true, but it's not yet fully experienced. It's over yonder, right? There's your Christmas word for the week, over yonder. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morning. It's coming, y'all. It's just not here yet. It's over yonder. That's the anticipation of Christmas. The tension is we celebrate it, and we rightly celebrate it, but the fulfillment of it is always over yonder. O come, O come, Emmanuel. A hymn that we have sung and we will continue to sing. Listen to this stanza of that hymn. O come, thou day spring. That is to say, new day, bright new morning sun that rises out of darkness. O come, thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. It's the day spring. It's the new day that has come and yet is still coming. And we wait for it with patience, by faith, living in the tensions between the two advents. One we look back to by faith and one we look forward to by faith. Now, back to the cave in Thailand. Those 12 soccer players aged 11 to 16 with their 25-year-old coach, one flashlight, no shoes, had hiked one mile into the darkness of a cave, only to find the monsoon rains had, had filled the caves and the water so that there was no escape for them. Those boys could not see the hand in front of their face. They were so afraid their first night there that they slept with the flashlight on. Understandably, but they didn't know that it would be ten days before anyone would reach them. Now I want you to think about that, particularly you children, being a mile into the earth without any light, without any food, without any pillow or blanket, sleeping on a rock, literally, for 10 days. No watch, no ability to know when a day has ended, when a day has begun. Trapped, steeped in deep darkness, with a 25-year-old coach being your source of leadership and wisdom. That's pretty scary. That's really scary. But there was a thrill of hope. There was a light that burst onto the scene. On day 10, the boys were huddled in a mass trying to stay warm. 
when suddenly a light popped up out of the water that had trapped them. And it was a diver, one of several divers who would finally reach those Thai boys. And all of this is available. There are documentaries on this, which I watched this week. There are articles. There's even movies on it. And it's all worth watching. It's all worth seeing. But some of it is, is so amazing uh, and, and just can't imagine being in that circumstance. But when that light popped up and when it was the expert cave diver, the first thing he did is he asked, how many of you are still alive? And the answer was 13. They were still alive after, thir- or after 10 days of waiting, waiting and waiting. And, and one of the... Horrific truths is this. The man um, who now talks about his experience of finding the boys says, as soon as they told me 13 were alive, I was so thankful. But the immediate next thought in my mind was, now what? Because it had taken them hours to swim through the water to get to that point. And he, in his mind, says, I have no idea how we will ever get these boys out. It's great that we found them alive, but now what? The story would go on, and I tell you the details because it is the picture of deep darkness and utter despair that ends well. The story goes on like this. They were found on day 10. And can't you imagine how excited those boys were? And they immediately told how hungry they were, and they were like, we're going to try to get you food. But there was a period of waiting waiting for their deliverance. And that's what I want you to think about. They were found on day 10. They would not be delivered until day 18. They had eight more days of being trapped. But you know, they're thinking the next light is coming. It's got to be coming. But they're in the dark and they only know what they're told. But they're waiting for the second advent of the light. They're in this period of unknown waiting. When is it coming? When is it happening? We believe it's going to happen, but this is hard. It's hard to wait in the darkness. But it would take eight days. What happened in those eight days, by the way? It's an amazing story. A team of 10,000 volunteers from around the world came together, created a community of strategy, of living together, of exploring every possible option of how to deliver these boys out of their darkness. 10,000 people. They consulted with expert divers. They found their Savior. They found the one that they trusted. He was an Australian doctor, an anesthesiologist, who was also an expert cave diver. What are the odds? They explained to him that they had three possible choices for delivering these boys, for saving these boys. And they told him, you are our best option. He listened to their plan. He said, it won't work. There's no way. The plan was that they would swim the two and a half hours it took to get to the boys and that they would then get those boys to scuba dive, swim back out 
what would take more than two and a half hours for non-professionals. But they wanted the anesthesiologist because they wanted to sedate the boys. They wanted them to be put to sleep. And the doctor said, there is a 0% chance that this will work. You cannot do it. The boys will panic. The boys will drown. It's an amazing story, and, and you need to go watch it. But in the midst of all that darkness and what seemed to be insurmountable odds, lights did pop up. It took 18 days, but the second lights came, and they did sedate the boys. And one by one, 13 divers took 13 sedated people and swam the hours-long course that it took to be delivered. And all 13 survived. And it's amazing and it's a miracle. But it is a picture of darkness and of despair where you are utterly dependent on outside help to save you because you can do nothing to deliver yourself. And that's the story of Christmas. That is the story of Christmas. In our darkness, in our despair, in our little huddled mass, shaking in the cold, God has come. He's come in the form of His Son as light in the midst of darkness, and He is strong to save. He is strong to deliver. He is able to do what He alone can do to save His people from their sins. For those boys, help was coming, but it was over yonder. It was going to take eight days of waiting. And for you, if your faith is in Jesus, help has come. We look back on the advent when God delivered His promise. But now we wait for the fulfillment that is over yonder. And it's hard to wait eight days in the dark. But that's the age of the church. That's the age in which we live. Help is coming. It's over yonder, but we celebrate it at Christmas because God will be true to His promises. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for the promise that though we live between the two advents, we live in the tension of waiting, but Lord, we trust You to be true to Your promises. So Lord, would You build up our faith? Would You encourage us Would you even remind us what your word says? That there is a city that is coming that does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. Lord, help us to look over yonder with great patience for you to fulfill your promise of Christmas. We ask it, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.